Hello and welcome to episode 168 of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy. Do you smell burning flesh? That's, that's me. It's James. <laughs> oh, listeners, we gave you a bonus episode, a bonus episode where Aaron unfairly locked me in the blockbusters and cooked me. With a, with, a, with a ghost woman and frigging Sir Patrick Stewart in a mask. It was weird. But if you're going to go out, <laughs> fucking nostalgia all, mate. Last week's episode, we did, or last week's bonus episode, which came out midweek, was our Halloween special that we do each and every year. We would take on a little bit of a, a little bit of a quiz, a bit of a role play, a bit of a, you know, what would you do in this scenario? Horror movie themed. Uh, no exception this year. James failed. Yeah. But it was close. It was very close. I'm spoiled by my own petard. You did. Which is the saying I've always wanted to say in this podcast. <laughs> if you uh, haven't listened, do I know this is coming back on November this is coming out on November first, but do go back and check it out. Cause you know, Halloween movies, horror movies, they're not just for Halloween. Yeah. I mean next week we're gonna be starting thinking, you know, with, with November, what is the best type of film to watch in November? What's the kind of genres? And we've got something special. Like a fucking bigger next week. It is a bigger the Coen Brothers. Yeah, so that's next week because November is that weird month, isn't it? It's like when do you watch Nightmare Before Christmas? Because it's Halloween, it's Christmas. You know, when do you? I, do you know what I was thinking as well? I reckon November should be the year where you try something different, mm. where you should just purposely go out of your way and pick a genre that you don't know. Go to the cinema. Go. I don't usually watch horror. I don't like animation, or I haven't seen animation since a kid. Go back, reinvest, try something new. That's what November is. November in cinema as well is normally a good time for the, the Oscar ones the to Oscar start coming ones, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so if you're not horror or thriller infused, which is, tends to be for October time, uh, November is a good time to get your awards movies out before the kind of, you know, the tinsel and the confetti start around Christmas period. But and the arguments. It's Die Hard, a Christmas movie, yes. Yes, it is, yeah. Is, is, is Klaus the best animated? Yes. Yes, it is, yeah. Is Krampus yeah. worth a watch? You go for it. Yeah, why not? But uh, November is that <laughs> what, time. What shit is Tim Allen going to bring out? <laughs> <laughs> so we will do Current Brothers next week, but this week we have taken to cinemas, we've taken to uh, streaming sites, as always, to pick a run of films that may entertain you or may not over the November period. So James, mm. what have you been watching? Well, I went to the cinema, so I went and saw three new releases this week. I went to go check out Venom, Let There Be Carnage, based on a conversation that we had last week. I went to go see Dear Evan Hansen, a musical, and I finished it off by seeing The Last Jewel, although I've actually got them all the way wrong, <laughs> the wrong way around. I saw The Last Jewel first because it was only out for one day. <laughs> oh, was it? Well... Something I'll get onto when we start talking about it, but yes, <clears throat> I saw it very late on. It was the day before they changed the screening. There was one showing, and mm. I, I literally was in town, and the screening was in like fifteen minutes, so I went on my own. I saw a lot of reports about Jewel saying that it's obviously star-studded. It's really Scott. It's yeah. a big, big movie. Great performances. Jodie Comer's like getting nods about how well she performs in it, and it's like a lot of people saying this is made for an adult audience that are probably not going to go to the cinema to watch it. Do you know what the biggest problem it's got is that, so I remember reading an article now, I, we follow them on Twitter, we engage them. I can't remember the lady's name, so I, I'm sorry. Um, but she posted saying, oh, you know, I've easily got a seat. The thing is this film is self-fulfilling prophecy. A lot of people said it's not going to make the money. So, they, you know, it costs a lot of money to run a film in a mm. cinema. And I kind of get it because at this time at the moment, you all remember the cinema genre, the cinema business is quite, it's limp. Mm. It's weak because they've had like nearly two years with, you know, Tenant did not bring in the, the people it needed. Bond is. Bond so, is. So you can kind of understand uh, Bond, uh, Quan Chi and the Ten Rings did pretty well, especially in uh, the Eastern markets. It, it's, it's 
seen as Marvel's very, a very good successful Oh, the franchise. Shang-Chi movie. This, oh, it, sorry, I apologise. The Shang-Chi movie. You know, people have got high hopes for Dune because mm. it's a massive masterpiece that's coming out. Um, they've got these films. So you can forgive them for hedging their bets. If Bond's going to sell, stick on more Bond. But this film's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They said people won't go to watch it, so they barely showed it. So it kind of, it, it creates its own problem. Do you, know, do you know what put me off it? Not going to watch it? Yeah. Is the 18 tag? Because you have to do something nowadays to get an 18. Yeah. He's, he's, he's gory in parts. No, I will say that uh, two of the movies I watched this week are 18s, but from home it's different. In the cinema, because yeah. I get involved, like the sound, the seat, the big screen, you know, I'm there. And sometimes 18s, I still do feel a bit queasy. Do you know what? There was a, it was quite funny when I went to go see the last job. There was me and one other person in there. So I didn't have the joy of having the cinema to my own. But this person was sat so far away, but he said hello to me when I came in. Yeah, that's odd. <laughs> was, hello. And then you just, it felt like they need to go, just us then. And then, but we were sat so far away. Mm. At one point I said, should I go sit next to him? Do, do <laughs> I have a tell me what's the, it's weird that we sat in this cinema. And it was, it was the small cinema. It was, it was screen number nine. But he was sat in the posties. I sat pretty much near the front. <laughs> did, did, I, did I ever tell you about the time when I watched The Rise of St- uh, Skywalker, the last Star Wars movie? So the one that we went to, and I thought I was just done. No, no I we, left we, it, didn't no, I? No, we, we, we watched it. We watched it the day after because I watched it twice. But I was oh, okay. at the midnight release and I bought tickets the moment they came on sale, like months ahead. And yeah. I booked two seats. I think it was me and Sam went... And you know, premier seats, middle aisle. You're fucking that. dropping his name again. <laughs> well, yeah, what, it's all forgiven, is it? <laughs> well, no. Then we made, then I made this joke about a week later. I feel like going on. It wasn't even a week. It was like three days later. I went back on the audience website to go look at if anyone else had bought tickets, and there was sure as hell my seat and Sam's seat. And then one other person had bought a seat next to yeah, me. Yeah, that's happened. Yeah. And I was like, that's really weird. Like, so someone else is, someone's gone to the cinema on their own, which is fine. I, I love doing that. It's, I do it all the time. I love doing You know what? Midnight's releases on your own is a fun as fuck. Because but, you get to go home and you're just like, you just enjoy. But they have a whole cinema and they're like, ah, I'll sit next, I'll sit next to those two that have already bought their seats. It's because that person wanted that seat and you probably had their seat. Well, what was really weird was that when, when I said, so I knew this. So I I thought maybe it's one I know because on the podcast I said I was going to, where I was like, oh, I'm sat on row M, seat 12. I thought someone who listens to the podcast had booked the other seat. That's cool. It, had, it was just it's some so dude. Oh, it was okay. just some dude. So I was sat there and then he turns up and he sits down and he, and he as he sits down, he goes, oh, we made it. And I was like, what do you mean we? <laughs> What's we? You and your best mate, right? <laughs> hey, he's coming on next week. His name's, Cl- his name's Clive James. <laughs> don't meet many Clives now. Do you don't. <laughs> But um, yeah, last year, 18, uh, uh, you know, Matt Damon's facial hair in it and oh. and everything like that. I was a bit what? like... You know we were hitting the ground running, mate. I start talking about because we're, we're in there now. I, so. I will say off the top of the show, because I know he's about to ask. Yes, James, I did watch some movies this week. I watched <laughs> American Assassin on Netflix, The Little Things on Sky, um, Blood Red Sky on Netflix, and St. Maud on Amazon yeah. Prime. So there's I've, there's plenty of film talk today. Let's go straight off with Jewel. Well, it, the, Jewel, the last Jewel... The, oh, sorry, the last the last year. Come on, um, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Nicole Holofrankner and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yeah, that's right, mate. You've got a film starring Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck as a count, mate. Ooh, Ooh I know. Ooh, Ooh. Margarita. Uh, this is set in France, so I'm going to butcher some French people. <laughs> and it's, it's apparently histori- it tries to be historically correct. So Marguerite de Carugulis claims that she's been raped by her husband's friend and former squire Jacques Legris. Jean de Carugulis, a fiery warrior with a noted reputation for being a feared warrior, has been losing position to Jacques for a number of years. Jacques rose 
from humble surroundings. He studied the Bible and eventually he won the trust of Count Della Anacon. And the Count has basically got the, he's a cousin of the, of the king and has got the ear of the king. So uh, he, uh, Jack gets his friendship by fixing his finance and as a position of this, is able to strengthen his position in court. June, re- June, June, <laughs> June returns from a campaign in Scotland and learns of his wife, he learns from his wife about a sexual assault that, that took place and he demands that the Count charge Jack. However, he refuses and basically, like the headline of WrestleMania, <laughs> John goes to the King and he settles up for a fight. And now, do you know what? Talk, talk through the characters. Who Who's the King? Oh, you, so the, the King's... No, who plays the King? Oh, I can't remember the actor. He's, right. he's, he's not a point. The, basically, um, Just, Ben Affleck plays the Count who's got um, Adam Driver's back. He's got him. Uh, Coma is married to Matt Damon and he's married her for a position. He needs, he needs uh, money. She's comes from a, a wealthy family with no men, no boys, sorry, in, a, in line. So she's able to, he's able to profit. He's got a position. Now, so this is where I have to tell you the, there's three acts and each, there's three stories. And if, this is why, and this is brilliant. They've got three different writers because each is for a different character. So you go through with Matt Damon, you follow him from, you know, meeting, uh, becoming friends with uh, Jack, you know, going to war, losing his position, meeting Marguerite for the first time. You know, he's, he see, comes across as quite loving, quite charming. You know, he thinks their relationship's quite good. She can't have a child, so it puts pressure on them, but he deals with it. He says, you know, we'll get, we'll get through it. And then he goes off to France. And then the second part, you're there with uh, John, played by, um, no, Jack, sorry, you're there with Jack. <laughs> fucking get more French. You know, with Adam Driver, I'll call him Adam Driver. And Adam we Driver, do have he- listeners in France, so I'm just going to say I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry. No, after like last episode, <laughs> Boojo, <laughs> like fucking cracker. Anyway, and you see him and he, you know, he's quite timid. He's quite shy. But then you see the relationship from his side that he tried to strengthen Matt Damon's position. You know, he was his friend. He was his squire. He tried to back it up. But, but Matt Damon's, when you see him not in Matt Damon's eyes, so this is a different writer and takes a different, different, this is their part of the story. Um, so then you see him like be quite rude to him because he's jealous of Adam Driver's new position and his friendship with the Count. And then the third story is told from Jodie Comer's uh, perspective about how, you know, about how the assault happens. Uh, so I assume she has the overriding say, like her narrative has the overriding say what happened. What's weird is that it's kind of a mangulation of the two. Like Adam Driver in his story doesn't sexually assault her because he thinks they're in love. Right. And it plays on that while she did like him, did she want it, that to happen? No. You know, and then that's when it ends. But basically the overarching storyline is you've got Ben Affleck. I'm, mate, what a fucking shock you are. I love Ben Affleck as the count because he plays kind of Ben Affleck. And the last duel, so it was the last duel in France historically, it's set up like it's, the, the date gets pushed back so that the king can come to see the fight. You know, it's like WrestleMania, mate. He's got the big event. It's set up brilliant. The fighting is brutal. Some of the, There is gore, realistic gore when you see some of the battle scenes. But do you know what? When I was watching, I loved this film. I thought this film was brilliant. So the duel—that's that, not like horses with sticks, is it? It, it does start off like that, but uh, spoilers—it ends in kind of a more fight that you expect on the cinema. Fisty, swords, fisty cuffs, swords and fists, and a bit of armor. So because I never really understood like like horseback. So what, jousting. Not, joust, that's a jousting, yeah. thank you. So you knock one off and then you win. Yeah. The fight doesn't continue onto the floor. No, but this one does, this one's to the death. So they both kind of knock each other off. I think one of the horses goes lame and they basically decide to just slug it out. And, and so it's like one of them where it's like God will decide. If I'm, yes. if I'm right, I'll win. Well that's, well, that's another big thing as well that comes onto it is, is uh, Adam Driver doesn't have to prove himself because the court of law kind of sides with him, mm. but that's because he's got the friends at court. 
And it's uh, Matt Damon who, uh, Matt Damon is, <laughs> the haircuts that you mentioned, they're all awful. Yeah. But they're all authentic. Mm. They all look shoddy and shit. And I, they all look like- Shoddy des- and shit. They, they desperately need a bath, all of them. Yeah. It's just like- well, That's uh, just Ben Affleck. <laughs> Hey, I'm not joking, mate. He's very good in this film. I think Ben Affleck. Didn't he write one of him? Didn't yeah, he write one of, one of the writers? Yeah, yeah he's yeah. one of the storylines. You, you've got to think that Matt Damon did Matt Damon's, and then probably Ben Affleck did uh, Adam Driver's. And Adam Driver's actually really good, strong. He's uh, Adam act, Driver, if is. you will. Yeah, Adam Driver is phenomenal. And I've got to. I've loved this film. I thought it was really good. Right. But it's got one of these caveats that I like this film. This film is not for everyone. No. I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. You could. Say, what I really liked about it is the noise, like the sound of the horses, like the clanging, the realism. Because I'm really into medieval history. I like the games. I quite I quite like that period, like Crusader Kings 3, which won't mean anything to you, but some listeners out there. So I'm really into my grand strategies of uh, medieval times. And this film is just like a really good watch. I really like it. I like Ridley Scott. I like it when Ridley Scott goes big in genres that don't really do it. His Robin Hood was actually a pretty good Robin Hood. The only problem mm. is, oh, the boy... The beginning's really shit, and I don't know what's the beginning. But, you know, so I quite like Ridley Scott. I've got a lot of time for him. This art making that he's got, this grandiose style suits him to the ground. I liked it. However, not for everyone. The performances are fantastic. There's very little. I like Matt Damon. You know, he's getting older, so he's... Was this the film that Matt Damon would have picked 10 years ago? No. But I think lately he's been taking bigger risks the older he gets. Does it require, though, a more veteran yeah character? In that role. I think his chemistry with Jodie Comer is very good. Jodie Comer as well is becoming, you know, probably the A-lister at the minute. She's a hit after hit. Yeah. So I think the problem with this film is the audience has, haven't seen it. I definitely think you'll find is it. Is she the crux, though, of the movie? Because I imagine, depending on who wins the last duel, there is a consequence for her because she's integral to both stories there is but it's kind of a spoiler so I can't tell alright that's fine that's fine Don't, well yeah. the precipice that she holds on is fine if you can get through the bad haircuts which I'd like to point out that's Ridley Scott being mm. near perfect trying to tell a historical story I think he's done that on purpose he's picked these terrible <laughs> terrible oh and the lighting's a bit off but it would be because I think he tried to be authentic and light things by candlelight which just means that Scenes are pitch black yeah. <laughs> and you can't see Jack anything. But as, as as an experience, I'm glad I caught it in the cinema. I think it's one of those films that, that that's earned the big screen. Yeah, it sounds like a labour of love for Ridley Scott. And yeah. He, he, like you say, Robin Hood, he, 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 choreograph, he, he choreographs the, uh, the the scenes really well, the kind of big chaotic scenes. There, there is, I watched The King on Netflix. Is it The King, the one with, yeah, with Tim Timothy Chalamet? Chalamet. Yeah. And that... Um, that was really good. And and that's, again, the kind of movie that was brutal when it needed to be. And it had this real, like, claustrophobic element of the mm. battle scenes of, like, you know, people not... Because the armour is so weighty that if you fell on the floor on a muddy battlefield, you cannot get up. And There was a bit of that in this. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's people trampling on people. And you think, you know, the camera's in there and it's horrible. And, you know, and you talk about, like, war strategy. You know, they they go... They, they, they're like, look, if we don't wear armour, yes, we're more vulnerable to attack, but we can move, we're more agile, and it's... You know, I, I found it interesting, but there's something about medieval movies that are just a bit more brutal than other films. Yeah, but I, do you know what? Palmy thinks it's... So when you watch... Well, I didn't really see a trailer for this. I don't know if you did. I didn't really know anything about it. I saw a post on Twitter, and I thought, I don't know anything about this film. I saw that it was in a cinema when I just happened to be literally a, th- a stone's throw from the cinema. Mm. So I'll give it a go. I've got nothing to do. I'm unemployed. The only thing I do now is wind up, um, you know, uh, crank callers. I can't remember what you call them. Cold callers. Cold callers. I wind them up. I spend a lot of time winding them up, mate. That's <laughs> um, how you get your kicks, in it? Um, so I, I watched this film, and I thought, you know what? He was very... It was kind of what I needed on like a 
fucking Thursday, one o'clock in the afternoon, which is the time that you're not going to get people to watch this film. So mm. I always find that really weird. It's like, it was on way too early. During half term, no kid's going to be desperate to see this 18 film that they can't see. The parents aren't going to have time at one o'clock. It was, I'm actually quite disgusted that it wasn't in there a lot. I will wait when it comes out. It will come out of Sky Cinema. I'll yeah. wait for it in the next six months. I'll, I'll watch it then. And I think you'll have fun watching it. Yeah, as long as it's not too bloody and gory. But I suppose if I'm at my own house, I can I can turn it off. But when it comes to gore, I think they're always going to be fighting the Game of Thrones. You know, Game of Thrones is medieval, but fantasy. and was able to, to you know push the boundaries on mm. what was acceptable on a fantasy reality show. But the problem is, when it's medieval, it's realistic. It's realistic. So I think they kind of put the gore in there to try and like, oh, you know, realism can be fun as well. <laughs> Uh, cool. That's the first movie out of the way. So let's move on to uh, one of my films, which is an 18. Mm. And that's a, kind of a theme already on this is that there's this movie on Netflix called American Assassin that I have hovered on for so long. Like I've been, I've been thinking, do I, do I want to watch it? It has uh, Michael Keaton in it. It has um, a young actor, Dylan O'Brien, Brian in it, who we talked about that Love of Monsters movie on Netflix and how mm. it was quite fun and, and in lockdown and in pandemic time. It was actually quite a relief to watch that movie. It's got Taylor Kitsch in it, who we Ooh. always kick in this podcast. It's, well, it's, it's, to be fair, we don't kick him any harder than his own agent. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. <laughs> so, He's just been putting bad movies in. So, you know, it's like alarm bells in it. And I, and I didn't see it at the cinema because the 18 tag, because I thought, God, this it must go out its way to get an 18 rated, mm. this film. And so it's always been the 18 that's been putting me off it. Um, so I, and last week, not the Halloween special, the, the previous week, we had like a little mini Michael Keaton chat yeah. and I thought, oh, fuck, I'm going to do it. Why will why, why go to waste? And do you know what? I'm really glad I did. This movie is really entertaining, to be honest. Have you seen it? No. So, so the basic- When you said American Assassin, I always get that confused with The Accountant and that's, yeah, that's Ben yeah. Affleck and that's the one I And the thing is on Netflix, they're next to each other, which oh, makes it even go. worse. But um, so in this movie, um, it, it centered around a, a young lad in it called uh, Mitch Rapp. Now, just bear with that. Um, <laughs> let it go. Dylan, let, let, let it go. Dylan O'Brien's character. And the movie starts with them on a beach in Ibiza, um, celebrating, handheld camera. It's a, you know, love holiday. It, proposal you know um uh, rap and his girlfriends in the water you know it's all lovely dovey it's great it's you know ibiza although because they're american it's we're in ibiza Ugh. you know all that kind of stuff um <laughs> Ugh, get out <laughs> then there is a terrorist shooting on the beach a very graphic terrorist shooting oh. uh armed gunmen come out and they um you know murder a, a, you know a whole bunch of people uh including mitch's girlfriend and leaving him uh bullet ridden as well left for dead we then transfer years later after the rehabilitation, after his survival. And Dylan has now become like an underground, sorry, Dylan, Mitch, Mitch Rapp, Dylan's the actor, Dylan O'Brien's the actor. Um, Mitch has become like an underground um, kind of law enforcement on his own. So he, okay. he he believes the CIA, the FBI, Navy SEALs, all of those guys are, they're not going to get the job done. He's gone on the dark web. He started to research. He started taking MMA classes. He's going to the gun range. He's doing all this stuff to, to arm himself and equip himself as a super soldier. And his plans are to go on a one-man mission over to um, you know, the Middle East or wherever he's needed and go, uh, you know, basically kill the people that were responsible for killing his girlfriend on the beach. So he's then uh, obviously the the it's, government. It's not a Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> no, no, right. So, so bear with this. So the government then are obviously monitoring him because you know as they do because he might shoot off a state. And he's, yeah, he's intercepted before he gets to live out his plans. But they see promise in him because he is off the charts in terms of his IQ, in terms of his 
cutthroat dedication to getting the job done, you know, that he would pass any Marine or Navy training or SEALs training or whatever it is. And he actually then goes on an underground program led by Stan Hurley, which is the Michael Keaton character as a off the grid training camp for super spies. And basically you Jack Bowers who go in, get shit done. They not, they don't belong to an agency. Yeah. You know, if you get caught, you are on your own. We don't know you. Um, but we will get you in a room with the people that you want to take out. That's the setup. That's the cell. And, you know, and Michael Keaton plays, you know, this character Hurley, who is the drill sergeant from hell. You know, he puts them through their paces. You know, the training montages are, you are going to get knifed unless you protect yourself. You know, if you get caught, you best shoot yourself before you get, um, before they, they, uh, torture you that it's that kind of training it's unpleasant it earns its 18 rating in the first half an hour of the movie there are scenes of graphic gore fingernails being pulled off there's a lot of gory stuff in this movie but in there is a, is a pretty good storyline actually of a um taylor kitsch's character who plays ghost who is and it's no spoiler it's in the trailer is one of hurley's previous protégés like yeah. rap who has gone off the grid too far and now potentially has... He's off the grid and then there's off the page. (laughs) He's off the page. He now potentially has his hands on a nuclear weapon. So it adds this like Mission Impossible (gasps) stake to it. The problem is though, I'm seeing Taylor Kitsch and I'm just not feeling it with his nuclear weapon. So this is what I'm saying, right? So it's got him in it. It's this whole storyline. It is over the top nonsensical and it is gory and bloody, but it's freaking entertaining like yeah. i was watching it and i was like there are some scenes that you can tell are you, you know digital effects and, and green screen or whatever but for the most part i there are there are certain movies that always tick a box for me as as i enjoy exotic european locations or you know places that take us out of you know england or out of america and get us actually in some of these scenarios and it, it is it is traveling you know they go to various locations across italy istanbul and other places and has this great backdrop the action sequences pay out really well. The spy stuff, you know, the whole kind of undercover stuff works really well. He masters numerous languages, you know, in this movie and pulls them off fluently and, and settles in. It's it's one of the movies, if you like Mission Impossibles and you like those kind of stuff, this is like an 18 version of those films. When it wants to be brutal, there are brutal scenes in it. There are numerous stab uh, victims, gunshots, bloody all that kind of stuff. I, I can't explain it. I was like, this is really entertaining. Really, really good stuff. Two hours long. It's not going to, it had, didn't win any awards. But <laughs> Not even MTV Best Kiss. The well, most prestigious of all the awards. Mark Keaton <laughs> does have luscious lips as always, but it's worth a watch. I, I think if you, you know, if anything, it's worth a watch to prove that Taylor Kitsch actually can do good films. <laughs> you just got to find them. You just got, you got to find them, James. You really got to find them. Um, it's also got David Suchet in it as well. And I'm oh, reading I'm reading a Prior book at the moment. Yeah. So it's that was actually quite nice. Is he have a mustache? Sorry? Just David Suchet. No, not in this. Oh, well when you play fun. when you play Pyro, Pyro, you don't The thing don't... is he can pull off the mustache. He can. He can. And that's a very rare talent. Him and Tom Selleck may be oh, and uh, Elliot. May be the only people that need mustaches. Yeah. I've seen Sam Elliott with a mustache and I do not believe it was Sam Elliott. <laughs> I believe he was a clone from the CIA. So if you do want to uh, check out a kind of balls to the wall action, violent film, American Assassin seriously ticks boxes. I did. And do you know what? It has loads of ridiculous shit in it. Like loads of ridiculous stuff in it. I mean, you just go, well, you just wouldn't do that. You know, like people, jump, <laughs> people jumping out of windows and grabbing hold of like flags and somehow they land on the, on the ground perfectly fine. But I don't know, man, there was just something about it. That was like, this is gripping stuff. I quite enjoyed it. So American Assassin. Yeah. Netflix. Netflix. Cool. Um, so we're not going to spend too much time on this, and this is not going to be like last week when we did spoilers. Based on a conversation that you and I had, Venom, 
Let oh, yeah. there be carnage. So I am a Venom fan. I'm not a super fan. I like Venom. I think he's he's pretty cool. I like the idea that he's an alien symbiote, an anti-hero. Mm. You know, he eats villains. I like the character of Eddie Brock in the cartoons, you know, obsessed, you know, wants to be something that he's not. His um, liaison with um, the symbiote brings out the boat, the best of him. And, you know, I quite like the natty nature. I've always learned through this through video games and the PC, uh, PlayStation 1, do you remember you had like a, believe Stanley did the narration for it. Yeah. Now, you know, those games, they were really cool. I remember like um, Carnage being the big villain. You know, he'd, he'd attached himself to Doc Ock and it was like Doc Ock symbiote. It was like, it was amazing. Um, so to me, I've never been more looking forward to a film than uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage because of the villain. I've said it once, I've said it many times. A villain is only as good as your villain. Uh, sorry, your hero is only as good as your villain. That's why I love Batman. Joker, love the Riddle, love Two-Face, love Morton. They're all brilliant. And Batman does have the best baddies. Even Calendar Man. <laughs> Especially how he's played in the Arkham games. You know, he's not like, ooh, it's the first of July. He's like, it's like a proper nut job. Yeah. Um, really like super, uh, Spider-Man's villains. Spider-Man's mm. got great villains as well. It's probably why he's my second favourite. Um, Carnage, mate. 90 minutes. Oh, it's godsend. You know what we've been watching lately? Mm. I hate it. <laughs> oh, I really didn't like it. Um, and what I don't like about it is, is I don't understand. So we're now going into two more spoilers because I'm well aware this is the middle of the episode. It's now not the time to talk about spoilers. We did that last week. The choices that Eddie Brock, the character makes, the character's Venom. That doesn't make sense because we've already done that. We've watched that in a film called Venom. <laughs> a lot of the story is recycled. I don't think there's anything new. One of the best casting choices, and we disagree with this, I was looking so much for Cletus Cassidy to be played by um, a... A good Woody Harrison. But that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Do you get good Woody Harrison? And we were talking about that the week before last. We were talking about we were talking about Woody Harrison. We both had a film, Woody Harrison. I had good Woody Harrison. You had bad Woody Harrison. It's bad Woody Harrison. It's mm. paint my numbers, Woody Harrison. He's playing a serial killer who gets kind of like, you get, you do what you want. Like, I imagine it's, it's Andy Serkis must have, Andy Serkis has either like reined him in Woody Harrison just doesn't care. Mm. And that hurts to see from either, because I like Andy Serkis, but I also like Woody Harrison. Woody Harrison's character bored the piss out of me. I, think, I thought Carnage was, was like a moaning bitch. <laughs> I didn't get any of what I wanted. I was really shocked as well to hear that fans, you know, you obviously went with Superfan. <laughs> Kareem, he was a massive fan. You know, he went back to go see it the next day. He loved it that much. I don't see how. I just thought nothing ventured, nothing gained. And they don't venture anything. They don't take any risks. Everything's basic. The end fight, the lack of action's weird. Like, mm. there's not really any big set-piece battles. What the characters do in their spare time, so it's 90 minutes long, but I find that some of the characters don't do anything to, like, the 60-minute mark. It's like, what have you been doing for an hour? It is, it is awfully lukewarm. I mean, I said this last week. I said, you know, the 90-minute bit... The end sequence I thought was stunning. The visual effects were great. Yes, yes, but it takes you like an hour and 20 minutes mm. together. There <laughs> is some really good um, apartment scenes, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde stuff, you know, the the, the playful comedy. I, I was surprised how much comedy they, they put in. I think movie. maybe too much. Which which the first movie did to kind of keep the rating down because yeah. you still got the heady in scenes and you still got like what the fans wanted, which was like a, a kind of an R-rated Venom. And it was like, well, it's a 12, but you do get some you heads get getting some, in. Yeah. Um, and then this one, I, I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I was probably just verging on the, on the enjoyed it part more than, you know, average. I mean, it was better than four, two and Iron Man three and some of the other Marvel movies, but 
I uh, do you know what, when I saw it, I saw wasted potential, which I'll be honest, that irritates me more than seeing a bad film. So whilst I don't think it's as bad like as Thor two, but fucking what was Thor two going to do? There's fucking space elves. I didn't think I didn't think Carnage was Carnage enough. No, I, said, I think I said this last you week. You did say he wasn't Carnage enough, but Kiedis Clasty, <sighs> right? So he's supposed to be a serial killer before you meet him. Mm. So that's what's implied at the end of the first Venom, the after scene credits. Is he goes and meets Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson's like, uh, you know wants to tell his story because he's crazy, he's over the edge, you know, he's lunatic, which is weird because then when we meet him, he's kind of a dickhead, mm. but not a menacing dickhead. It's just like, why did you do it? But what's really weird is that's not explored. You know, and him being bonded with a symbiote, you would have thought you could do a lot here. Imagine mm. a serial killer with special powers. They would like make a masterpiece. They would like create, they would create works of art with like body parts. I know I'm very dark here, but that's what you, that's what you could do. That's your limit. It's like scale it down. They scale it down to, Pissing about. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is as well with Woody Harrelson is like we know when I mean, you look at something like Natural Born Killers, you like that yeah. you've done it, Woody. You've done it brilliantly before. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, he is a bit wiry in this, isn't he, with his red locks. I thought it was, uh, yeah, I thought he bordered on Birdman. I really didn't like it. And I'm very thankful I only to watch 90 minutes of it. Again, also, I said this about Venom. Go back to the episode We Are Splute. <laughs> I said, there's weird editing in it. Like there's a bit of the storyline that's skipped in that, in the first Venom, there's a scene where he goes, I'm, I'm breaking up with you. Like, like 10 seconds later, he comes back. He's like, I'm like you, I'm a loser. Let's be friends. In this one, at about the 40 minute mark, it just, there's massive cut and everything's like kind of renewed again. And you're like, what? Mm. Why can't they edit these films properly? Gosh, they've got Justice well, League disease. It's, it's, pro- it's probably because there is a, there's a 90 minute cinema release, theatrical release, and, and there will a, be a much longer, the, the DVD will come out with 20 extra minutes and it, you'll, you'll see where that minutes are. I just, I, to be honest, I, I, do you know what's really stupid is a, I, I don't want to do this, let's, let's compare it to Batman. Uh, Batman Begins, Raz Al Ghul, was a pretty good villain to get you new in. And then you topped off, how do you get that? You have to go bigger, you have to go more iconic, you have to go Joker. Complete, uh, compare it to this, you have Raz Al uh, I can't remember is it Nuke I can't remember Rez, Rez Ahmed yeah I can't remember what symbiote he plays he did a very good job of being menacing and he owned a business and like you kind of got the idea that he was corrupted long before he got the symbiote and then the symbiote was an excuse to do what he wanted I can't tell you what's going on with Keith Clasty and Kaiser they, they I don't there should be like a great friendship there they should be like over the moon they should be like I found my soulmate you like killing people I like killing people. They should have been like dancing around, you know, like like the Joker, like over the top doing whatever they wanted. I just thought he was bollocks. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's the a deep cut is the super fan that, that I went with was like even he was like that that bit in the in the comic, there's the infamous line, um, you know, I am Carnage. Because yeah. they are so in sync. That they're the same, that yeah. They're the same. Whereas but it's I, always we are venom. And in this, I think he even says it, we are carnage or something. And it, but it, I never got that feeling, you know. Mm. That uh, to me, and also because you've introduced it now, it's not like you can remake it. You know, that's carnage. That's the that's the, that's the bit that I issued with is that, that well, you've done carnage now then and, and if that's it, that's the worry it, is that you want more like you want not I'm not saying you want Thanos level villain. But you want you want something you want different. Joker level villain. Yeah, you yeah. want you want something archaic, something that goes against the rules. Like, like Venom has no choice but to fight him because it's like a duty because mm. he's he's like a symbiote and he's a symbiote. But I just thought like there was a, it's there's a wasted film. You took a you took a storyline, you took a character that a lot of people were interested in seeing, myself included. And I'm kind of done with superheroes. Fucking you spaffed your load, mate. <laughs> You've ruined it. It's terrible. I really hate Venom.
I just remembered uh, I watched another film this week on your recommendation, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so when I when, when I say films, you're like, oh, I'm going to watch that. And, and never I, do. I, I never do. Yeah. Um, I watched The Final Girls that you recommended. Oh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think, I think it... I think it had, uh, there was a better film in there. Mm. The idea and the originality and the concept is great. The execution, somewhat questionable. It's going to be really hard though when one of the characters meet in a fictional version of their mom. No, it's not really that bit. Um, it's more the killer in it, I found. So, yeah. so James talked about this movie, The Final Girls, which is on Netflix. It's kind of, it does have a cool audience. I put it on Facebook, on Twitter, and quite a lot of people were like, oh great, this movie didn't find its feet when it came out. It, I think it came out in like 2017, so it's still yeah, relatively it's, new. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's about a um, a girl who tragically loses a mother, and the mum was a teenage screen queen from a movie in the 80s. They go to a um, screening, of anniversary a screening, screening. Yeah, you know, like one of these like court appreciations where it's a bad movie, but it has a really loyal audience. And a, and an incident happens where they have to go through the screen to get out of the theater that's on fire, and they find themselves transported into the movie. Um, you know, and and they use you know, the mechanics of a film, you know, like going into a flashback where everything goes gray and, uh, and black and white and they use it to their advantage. You know, the killer, the, you know, the mass killer who's clearly a, a, a Jason Voorhees like, doesn't know what Jason. to do with them because, you know, they're, they're not in the script. So that's a cool scene though. I do yeah, like there, that. There is, there's a lot to love about it, but my thing is the villain could still look better than, an, oh, the, than, than an, are you afraid of the dark kind of villain. The mask is awful. Yeah. yeah. It, but, but you know, it was enjoyable and tidy 90 minute film. I think the, the character, I think I mentioned as well, my favorite character, the, um, the misogynist. Mm. He just wants to sleep and do drugs. I, I thought he's brilliant. Just everything that happens with him and like, especially in the world we live in now, I just thought I was like, that was acted actually pretty spot on. Yeah. And, and all the characters say, say, you know, talk weird, don't they? And they're always going, Oh God, terrible script. You know, when all the kids, when all the, the seven, the seventies kids are like groovy, man. Yeah. You know, what, um, what do you think of that? They trap him in his, in their own tropes when they start flashbacking. I thought I was fucking brilliant, Ryan. I, I was like, good. I wish I'd written that. That's so clever. It, it, what, it, it did have the, it, it did have the, feel of it of people that clearly love the genre and are very smart people it, just the execution was a bit bit yeah. off but enjoyable god i mean for a home movie to watch on like a, again a thursday night great but um on the other side of that there is a movie that i was certain would be a home run and i was i was quite disappointed with it actually um it's right on my street it's a cop thriller um drama starring and yeah this is why it should be a home run stars um denzel washington oh no remy malik no gerard leto it's fucking awful isn't it it, uh, it's on not pa- awful on paper it should be brilliant I've only watched 20 minutes of it mate turn it off so this is The Little Things which is out now on Sky uh, on Now TV Sky Cinema um, and it is uh, Denzel Washington is the ageing um, veteran deputy sheriff of a small town community just outside of um, of LA he's asked to go into the big city to pick up some um, evidence it's a dead in and out kind of thing um, that they need to bring back to uh, the small town for a, for a case that they're pursuing but while he's there he cannot help getting involved in a local serial killer case uh, an unsolved mystery that he's being led by Remy Malik um where a series of girls are disappearing and uh, and being and then turning up murdered uh, days later and this has been going on and on um with no lead no suspect no evidence no clue of what's going on and so while he's there he, he gets the itch the old you know he's He's from that part of town and he's moved to the quieter side of things. So um, he gets that bug. And this is his backstory. A lot of the characters know him and they're like, oh, you're back, you know, and well, what about the incident? So you know during the course of the two hours you're going to get the, you, the incident is when they killed a girl Well, it's <laughs> get, ran away. I'm going to give all the spoilers, but, you know. I was joking. No, that is it. 
I was joking because you said it's an unsolved mystery. I was, I even said, mate, 10 minutes in, I turn this film off. So, Jared Leto comes in. Jared Leto comes in as the, the, um, the suspect, number one, Albert Sparmer. Now, Jared Leto is one of them that I always, on screen, I like. But then whenever I see like an Instagram post or anything, I'm like, I'm not sure if I like Jared Lowe. He, you know, clearly has a cult. He's very talented. He's very good looking. He's, he's, you know, he's one of the people that's annoyingly good at, you know, acting. He's won an Oscar. He's annoyingly good at music with 30 Seconds to Mars. He's annoyingly brilliant at sports and he's everything he does. And so, you know, definitely great. a cool leader though. Well, yeah, definitely a cool <laughs> leader. It's great too. And in this, you know, he is good. He plays, you know, the, the movie is about, it has that Zodiac feel to it where, you know, is the case going to get solved? Is it going to go unsolved? Is the person that they're pursuing, you know, their number one suspect actually the person or is he just a menace that likes to have fun, you know, and it's, you know, and, and he gets kicks out of, you know, being their suspect, you know, so he does walk this line and you have, so in there then you're supposed to have then, um, you know, Remy Malik's character is the young, fresh eyed, um, career driven, you know, will not let this case go unsolved making promises to the press and to families. I'm going to solve this case. Yeah. You know, and you've got Denzel Washington who's like, look, there are rules to this game. And he's very much, you know, he's in line with Seven and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman's characters. And, you know, Denzel Washington's the kind of character that, you know, and this is like, we need, there will be times where we have to bend rules to get the person that we need to get. And okay, we don't do it by the book, but we get the person. Um, So... I didn't hate it for trying. The problem was it it was just a bit bland. Jared Leto, there is a point where you start thinking, God, if he is making this up and he isn't the villain, you just wouldn't act like this. You wouldn't go as far to tell people that you are and suggest that you are and go to these lengths if you're not. (laughs) And so you're like, I don't know where to stand with all this. And then it ends on a, it's not a cliffhanger as much as a, you know, that Zodiac open door where you're like, I've just, I'm not even that bothered now. <laughs> you know, like, it, like I say, it's not that it's bad because it, on paper it should be an absolute home run. I think that John Lee Hancock, the guy that's directed it, that it it's a lot to handle on, and there's a lot of wasted time in this movie of like pursuing Jared Leto's character and, 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 and um, surveilling him when he's not doing anything interesting and which is and part so, of detective so you, work. I get that. So but, you as an audience member are watching someone watching someone do nothing. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. And it's like, oh, there he is going to a strip joint and there he's going home and there he's going to work again. And Joe Lowe never changes his clothes as well. It's amazing. He'll go anywhere in, the, in this, in this outfit. <laughs> You know, the performance, so the performance is great. I think, and it hurts me to say this, I, I I thought Denzel would have knocked this one out of the park, you know, and he does, and there are some great scenes, but ultimately I think he's let down by just that the, the script and the story doesn't go anywhere for him to actually latch into. And those big scenes, those scenes, you know, it, it literally plays out like seven. They end in a desert, the three ah. of them, that you're like, come on. It just doesn't have the grit under the fingernails that other cop thrillers have of that time. And, you know, so yeah, questionable. Not to say that it's rubbish or anything like that. It's not. It's a very well-made film. It's it's scored brilliantly. It's got some good performances in it. It's just not, on paper, this one should have been a home it run. It should have been. And, it, and it's just a bit bleak. I'm really conscious that we're negative. We've gone, we've gone high. We've gone two recommendations on streaming sites and cinema. We've then gone Venom and uh, Little Things, which we're saying should have been home runs and they weren't. Yeah. So let's, where are we going now? Are we picking it up? I'm going to pick it up. <sighs> So okay, we've done. I've done one good and one bad. I'm gonna hit you with a shocker. Mm. So my friend Esther, 
Um, she loves musical theatres. She's mm. the one that's dragged me. She made me see Hamilton, which was fucking phenomenal. In this, in the Heights, which was a lot better than I was expecting. And then there's a new one that's come out, Dear Evan Hansen, starring Ben Platt, starring Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, uh, Kathleen Dever, Cotton, Colton, sorry, Ryan. Basically, what we've got is, this used to be a stage show called Dear Evan Hansen, um, and it's been performed for, you know, for four years by Ben Platt. And what is Dear Evan Hansen? Well... Dear Evan Hansen is a teenager in a high school suffering from social anxiety whose therapist sets in the task of writing letters to himself detailing what will be good about each day. So every day he wakes up, writes a letter, Dear Evan Hansen, today you will smile at a stranger. Today you will be good. Today you won't be annoyed by things. You know, like, so setting himself goals, you know, trying to G himself up. At school, Evan has a run-in with Connor, another loner, who ends up showering at Evan and leaving with the letter that Evan had written about himself that day. So he tries to print it off on the computer and get to it, but Connor's between him and the printer. Connor picks it up and he notices that his sister's name's on there. So he freaks out, shouts at him and disappears for several days. Uh, so several days pass with Evan trying to communicate with Connor. So he's searching for the internet, searching, you know, Facebook to see if this pathetic letter, as he calls it, is made out there and people are laughing at him behind his back. Um, then one day he sends the principal's office where he meets Connor's parents and they tell him that Connor has unfortunately killed himself. Oh. Yeah. Um, the only thing on him at the time of the death was a Dear Evan Hansen letter, which the parents mistake as Connor's suicide note. So they believe he was sending Connor, uh, this was meant for Connor before he died. Due to the pressures from the parents and his own feelings for Connor's sister Zoe, Evan invents an entire friendship between himself and Connor. The lies become more and more complicated as he becomes a viral sensation and other teenagers come forward because they've all had these dark thoughts inspired by the friendship between Evan and Connor. So first thing first, this is a musical. Do you know what? Looking prompts for you for doing a musical that isn't like cheerful and happy. Do you know what? It takes a lot of guts to you know, deal with these kind of thoughts. I, I I praise the people who made this film. I think, do you know what, when you see, when you hear musicals, you think of like, well, I was going to use Sound of Musical as an example, but there's Nazis in that. Oh, the Sound of Music, yeah. <laughs> um, La La Land. La La Land, you know, so you get this idea that all these musicals and, and dance numbers, there are hits in here, so they're tap along, they're great, they're friendly. It deals with dark subject matter. It deals with, you know, how that feeling that everyone's felt when you don't feel good enough. It's, I'm going to say this, mate. It was brilliant. I wasn't expecting to like this film at all. When I was going there, I was going with my kind of, you know, dragging my feet, going, mm, I want to do this. But bearing in mind that I'd made us sit through like a two hour plus medieval drama. <laughs> this, this is my payback. And I wasn't expecting to like this. Within 15 minutes, mate, I'm flipping hooked. And I'm going to say it. We did a musical episode and we didn't, we, you and I were curmudgeons, mate. We didn't like it. We had a guest on um, and she did a very good job of Claire, wasn't it? And she mm. was talking about how great they are. I now see why people like them. Um, so this was a stage show. So Esther knew all the songs. So she's humming them as we go in. And do you know what? As we're coming out, mate, I'm humming them. I thought it was very good. Is it without sin? No. Ben Platt played him, played the character of uh, Evan Hansen on Broadway about 10 years ago. He's playing seventeen-year-old. He's now thirty, and because they, because because of how they dress him up, he looks like a four-year-old fast approaching fifties. It's those sort of things. But do you know what you get, mate? You get Amy Adams, and she's really good. She, she plays the grieving mum, and mate, she even has a bit of a sing. Mm. Julianne Moore has a song for herself, and she fucking nails it. Do you know what? This film, our blue eyes. I was expecting to sit through that film, bored out of my gourd. No, sir. Well done, dear Evan Hansen, for making me feel things. And you know what? I'm a big fan of when, when a genre like 
becomes better than itself. I'll always compare it to Inside Out. Inside Out to me is a monumental change in Disney because it was no longer about the Disney with the princess. It was about a girl dealing with her own depression. And I do what, fuck you, that was brave for a children's mm. film to take that kind of broad approach that these emotions are like. But the fundamental story is, is happiness is the villain because she doesn't want to feel sad. But sad is, is an emotion that you have to deal with. I just think, as for a Disney film, that's fucking amazing. For a musical to deal with teen suicide. I wish on, this, on the poster of, of that film, I had James. Fucking amazing. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> well, maybe, mate. One day. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Dear Evan Hansen, it was actually a delight to watch. Do you want, I didn't tear up towards the end, but you know how it's going. When someone's told a lie, it's about how you, 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 the truth comes out. That's not, that's not a spoiler. But how it comes out is such a great. Mm. It's human. You know, what? it's a musical for humans, and it was really good. I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. There's, there's something as well in movies like this where you know the third act is going to be about the reveal yeah. of the lie going into it. You know that, but when you care about characters and you're cringing or you're, you know, you don't want to see it. You don't want but that I, reveal. And also, it's one of those situations where you're never on that side, person. There's always a misunderstanding. But he tries to explain to these parents that he wasn't friends with Connor because he's broken his wrist, so he has a so he has a cast on, and Connor's the only one that's written on it. And because he's done it, Connor's written in big letters. So they see the cast. He's trying to explain to them that, oh no, that's a letter I wrote for myself, but they're not listening to him because they're focused on his cast, which Connor has signed. Thus, thus explaining why they're not really listening to him. And I, you know what, I thought, how can you as a kid tell you know, at the end when he starts getting, you know, when, when, when the truth comes out and you're supposed to turn on him, you're like, well, I'm, I'm kind of on his side because what the fuck was he supposed to say? I No, your dead son was very lonely. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous. But Amy Adams in a smaller part, still f- brilliant as the grieving mother. She was fantastic. Just another nail in another genre that she's completed. You're good for you, Amy Adams. Well done. Well done. Julianne Moore, do you know what? Julianne Moore, does she get the props? She's a, she's a fucking national treasure. She's brilliant. I love Julianne Moore, brilliant as well. All of them brilliant, except for 50-year-old Ben Platt dancing around with school children because it was weird. <laughs> there are parts as well that they're, they're too weird. <laughs> they are really weird. And uh, you can't blame him. You know, it's, not, it's not his fault. <laughs> like, it's not his fault that he's aged. Yes, <laughs> fucking time. Yeah, exactly. All right, time is the enemy in this one. Um, for them, uh, you know, do you know what? Very good. Aaron, you're not going to go out into the cinema and watch it and no one's going to blame you. However, if you... If, don't look for it. But if it's on one night and you've got nothing else to watch, give it a go. If it finds me. If it finds... And do you know what, mate? It'll find its way into your heart. The way you... Right, don't get me wrong. Yes, when we did that musical episode, it chipped away at me, James. It I realised that there are musical films that I do like. I, like you said, I don't go on my way to go watch them, but you're selling this one to me. Your your synopsis sold it to me. When you told me the reveal of the, the you know, the crooks, I was like, oh, I didn't expect that. So mm. it has something that would bring me in. It's the execution of... Because there are films like Great Showman where I think them tunes are banging, but the storyline is trying. Yeah. Well, the, you know what? The breakout song is when he invents a series of letters between him and uh, Connor. And then you see them acting out, you know, like they're best friends. And it's really funny. But at the mm. same time, you're like, he's dead. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's actually part of it's a dark comedy. <laughs> and then it's just kick you in the nuts feelings. But you know what? Dear Evan Hansen, if I'm recommending one of the three... But it's Dear Evan Hansen because you can't watch The Last Jewel anymore. <laughs> so. All right, so I'm going to uh, then keep it positive there. I'm going to watch a movie this week that blew me away that I was looking for. Bear in mind, we've just come off the back of Halloween. We've come off horror season. And I say it every year that... Um, I was going to text you and say it was on Amazon because I saw it the other day. Yeah, I, was, I say it every year that, you know, horror isn't... Um, 
only for, for Halloween in October, but then it is the only time that I watch it. <laughs> but it isn't. And this is a testament to that. There's there's a movie that is now out on uh, Amazon called Scent More that James has previously reviewed on this podcast in, in sang high praise of, as did most of the reviews, but it certainly didn't kind of generate the... Oh, the cinema I went to was pretty dead. Yeah, I don't think it got the... But it's an A24 indie movie, very short, um, small cast. Um, but... Oh my God, like outstanding, yeah, outstanding, outstanding film. So because there's horror and then there's horror. And what I mean by that is like, there's, there's, yeah, of course there's horror, there's slashes, there are, you know, jump scares and there are grotesque and gore and all that stuff. And then there's horror, which I prefer. This is the horror I prefer, the implied, the the suggestion, the, the, the framing of a shot, the, you know, the lingering camera work that suggests, are they alone in that room? I believe when I was talking about this film, I said you spend the majority of the film waiting for something to happen that doesn't happen. Yeah, that, and that's that's the, the most the, terrifying thing about it. It's just like it's, something. It's, yeah, it's the questioning, it's the foreshadowing, it's the it's the tone and palette, it's the the way that the characters, the gait of the characters, and how they carry themselves. That to me is the the horror that that I like. And the, Coney Island looking like a shit hole. <laughs> is it Coney Island? No, it's, it's Wales, isn't it? Was it Wales? Yeah, there's an amusement park oh, called course. Coney yeah, she's, Island. Yeah, she's a she's an old actress, isn't she? That's retired there. Sorry. Yeah. So, the, so the storyline of this is: it follows a nurse who um, leaves the hospital that she works in to become a private carer, and she gets the job of working for um, and providing care for a um, aging dancer, dancer, like, yeah. actress, um, theatre, um, classic, classic actress. Yeah, you know, like she's she's had her heyday, and she's dying of cancer. She's uh, in palliative care in the end, end of her life he's still young you know in her late 40s early 50s um, Broadway and, star wasn't she yeah I think that's what she was anyway sorry I keep interrupting I no no it's alright and, and in comes Maud who's uh, the, the title character played by uh, Morfid Clark who more than likely pronounced that wrong I do apologise and the ageing actress is Jennifer Hill who plays Amanda and the, between the two of them um, there is a a bit of a relationship and friendship kind of, kind of bosoms but Behind Maud's drive is is a is is a very strong sense of religious and spiritual ownership in the role, the caring role, and what she brings to that role, her purpose and her destiny, and that you know, is it is she there because it's a job, or is it because it's what God wants her to be doing? But this is very contrast to the work and the life that she led in the hospital. So again, as a viewer, we're led to believe, and through a series of flashbacks, it is revealed of her background and. Her, it's great storytelling that, that you've just mentioned there because when you first meet her, she's in a room, isn't she, where some, there's been an operation or something and she's just like cradled up and there's, I think there's blood everywhere and you're just like, but it's never mentioned or referred to again. It's like, mm. what the fuck happened? And you find, you find yourself, like, is she changed by this? Is this who she always was? And that's great storytelling, just like, because normally people leave um, the endings quite open. Mm. This one just leaves the fucking part, uh, this one leaves like the origins. It's like, whatever you think happened, happened. And you're just like, shit. Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, from, from the moment this movie starts, it starts, you know, with that kind of cold, bleak, you know, windy, off-season, coastal town feel to it. So, you know, it's it's rainy, it's 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 cold, you know, she comes out of a bed sit and straight away there's exorcist feel because she lives on a, you know, there's a giant staircase that she has to descend and you're like, okay, I've seen this. She goes to the big house on the, in, on the top of the hill and, there is loads of seventies horror themes throughout it, you know, not not least from the fact that you know the way that they all dress, they talk, and and so forth. You you then get this really interesting character, Maud, who you don't really know her motives, you don't really know why she's the way that she acts, and and you know whether or not she's truly spiritual, or, you know, or whether she's hiding from something. 
And there are moments where when she feels connected to God, she has almost, you know, orgasmic pleasuring experiences. And at those moments are, this is the only way I can describe it. Things happen in those moments where she's reacting, where I was watching it and things like, you know, she's obviously reacting facially and, and then her like eyes just all of a sudden are bigger than they should be. And and it happens for a second. And you're like, did that, what did I just, you I, almost want to rewind it and she, be like, did I just, did that happen? And, and it happens later on again when she has another experience where she, cause I believe this is, it goes on. People experience their relationship with God differently. And I think I, I'm just paraphrasing for what I said mm. last Halloween, I think it was, um, she experiences hers physically mm. and, and very physically. But, but, but she contorts out of, you know, there are, there are just seconds where like, you know, it's the time later on it happens and, and she's, um, you know, she's obviously pleasured by the experience, but her mouth almost dislocates and opens wider than it should. And it, so it has this like demon quality to it. So you, you're all the time kind of questioning like, is this in her head? Is it real? You know, is it, is it fact, you know, and, and, and it, the the horror builds is a, it, I mean, we use the term simmering pot a lot, you know, pot that simmers. It, it does simmer and it takes a long time to overboil. But when it does, the payoff in that third act was so good because it didn't go balls to the wall in, in act one and two. It led the trail of breadcrumbs. It kind of get, kept you engaged. It kept you invested. This is a character that you don't know whether you care about this character, you know, or, you, you know, in other characters start- I don't know start, if you're on her side. No, and, and characters come into the frame saying, oh, you know, shame about what happened at the hospital, you know, and, and she says, yeah, don't worry, I'm caring now. And they're like, do they know you're caring? Yeah, that's, the, that's and, what and, happened. <laughs> and it's that kind of stuff where you're like, okay, so why did she- and it, 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 Trail of breadcrumbs, James. And in the third act, it does the thing, and it's no spoiler, but in the in the last act, it does the thing where it breaks the mold of the film. So the film is very straight laced. It's very- you know, kind of uh, drama driven with horror tones. And in the third act, it does employ some tricks of, of cinema that go beyond what you saw in the first two. And and it builds and it adds to that suspense of that third act. So that, and I thought, and it all, most of this film happens in daylight. So again, it's not one of them, you know, bump in the night, dark lights, you know, cheap scares. They, this, this is a horror film that gets under your skin rather than, you know, is a, is a quick adren- adrenaline rushing bit of fear. I, I thought some more was, absolutely brilliant and i and i think the central performances um morford clark is already creeping into a lot of movies starting to see her name in you know even movies like crawl she's in it for like mm. two scenes she she's making a, a way into it jennifer ale is 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 amazing i thought the whole cast really for this film was great would i watch it again in heartbeat no would I, will i watch it next halloween most definitely mm. um would i recommend it to horror fans yes undoubtedly definitely join it, me mate it's iconic as well. Like it is one of the movies that I think rare does a film come along like this in, in the horror genre where you think that that's a benchmark movie that is, you know, it has scenes that I will remember forever and will be used when you watch like, you know, horror montages, they will take scenes from this movie. It's iconic. There are scenes in it that I'm like, that's just so perfect. So, um, I... directed by Rose Glass, it's someone that I'll keep an eye on. So, um, what's really funny is, is it Halloween's approaching? I've got a date. And well, it would be it'll be gone by the time this comes out. Would it? Yeah. When is it fin- when's it ending? No, this this film comes this podcast comes out. Oh no, out. I'm just saying I've got it on when I went on Halloween when I'm got a date, we're going to watch a, a horror film and I will be picking St. Maud. Because oh, yeah. I think it's kind of different to what people expect. And that's what I love about it. When when a horror plays with it's why I'll always love in the Mouth of Madness, is because when the story plays with the actual film the film itself, like mm. In the Mouth of Madness plays with story structure and so does St. Maud with your character expectations. And I love that. When you start questioning everything, fuck you, you've got me. Yeah. Um, I love St. Maud. I thought it was fun, phenomenal. I thought it was great. 
Um, just just to finish off the episode, have you got any more films? No, I've I, just there's a new thing on Netflix, a TV series animated called Inside Job. Uh, I think it's for people that have gone a bit bored of, of Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty's gone too far. Which I, I can't see a lot, see this, a lot yeah. of people have turned off Rick and Morty. You know? It's about shadow government. Do you know what? It's actually pretty funny. I liked it. It's 10 episodes, half an hour episodes long. So you're not, it's not a drawn out thing. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was, it did enough to get me involved and, and you know, interested. And I'll be watching out for season two. So it was just a quick, another, whilst we're being positive, something I noticed this week that I quite enjoyed on the Netflix, Inside Job. And he's got Christian Slater, and I forgot I quite like Christian Slater does the voice of the dad. The problem is he's very Rick. Mm. And you can tell this is designed as a direct competition for Rick and Morty. However, I quite like, I don't quite like Christian Slater. He mean he picks dog shit films. It's <laughs> <laughs> like so do you remember Churchill? I never wanted to I that was one of the oh, worst films. Yeah, where you yeah, play Churchill, somebody, yeah. Yeah. With Neve Campbell. I think it had a subtitle that movie though, didn't it? Yeah, a like, secondary title. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, that movie was terrible, wasn't it? It was. I remember the trailer was just Christian Slater with Bazooka. With his, and he played Churchill, didn't he? And it was yep. like, this is the real Churchill. Like the one we know is just fake. It's fake, yeah. And uh, he's got a cigar and he fires the bazooka and he, and he just, he's like, you're welcome, UK. <laughs> that was the trailer. Oh, I might, I'll take that back. <laughs> take that I, back. I watched a movie last night on Netflix that I, again, had no intention. I was I was scrolling through and, and I was I was just like, finish, you know, getting ready for work and stuff like that the next day. And I thought, I'm just going to put something on in the background. And about two minutes in, I did find myself being like, fuck, I've done it again. I'm now in a movie that I had no intention of being in. And it's an 18. It's this movie on Netflix called Blood Red Sky. Have you seen it or heard of it? No. Know anything about it? Not at all. The trailer, sorry, the trailer, the poster on Netflix is a, a, a mum and a young son hugging on a aeroplane. Um, they're, they're in an aeroplane. But the reflection in the window of the mum is not a mum. It's like a bald vampire. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why bald has made me laugh. <laughs> it, well, it's, you know, so it's like more Nosferatu kind of, yeah. uh, you know. What's it called? It's called Blood Red Sky. No, I thought maybe I've seen it, but no, sorry. So I, I, I was like, oh, I'll watch it. And I know someone who said, oh, do you know, it's worth the watch. It's, it's not great, but it's entertaining. It's two hours. And I was like, it's an 18 again. Is it going to be too violent? Um, so it, 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 and it's got, it's got one of the uh, prison break, uh, characters in one of the brothers, the one that not, you don't not know, not one worth Miller, <laughs> Lincoln, Dominic, oh, Purcell. Dominic Purcell. Um, it's got a couple of other characters like uh, Graham McTavish in it that you'll be like, Oh, I've seen that guy in other films where he no, also I, played a Scottish, Scottish villain, yeah, usually. Yeah, he, or, I love him. He, he tries to out Rambo Rambo in Rambo, that's it. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, in this, he's he's a colonel. You got Roland Muller in it, who's, who's one of the terrorists. So I'll get into that in a moment. So it's got some faces that so you know you just about. Say it. Terrorists? Yeah, so this is what happens. So it's, this is what tore me into it. So it's a transatlantic flight from coming from Germany over to um, New York. And on board the flight is a bunch of terrorists that plan to hijack the, the plane and have a motive for, for, for why they're going to do that. I can already see where it's going. On the side of that, though, what they don't realise is one of the passengers has a disease. So it's, I don't think they use vampirism in there. But oh, it I clearly don't know where is, this is going. It, it clearly <laughs> is what she is. She's is a vampire. She's driven by blood. She's on the plane to go to America because in the, in the opening scenes of the movie, she's gives the idea that she may have cancer or something terminal. Yeah. Because the doctor's like, look, come over. We've got treatment. You'll be safe. We'll, but it know. turns out it's for this vamp, it, not vampire. Well, they don't use the term, but she's been in a flashback in the beginning of the movie. You realize she got bitten by a crazed person, okay. which has now led her to have a bloodlust as well. 
So it's, it's, it's becomes one of them hell in the sky situations where there are six terrorists on board that are trying to take hold of the plane and, and, and are, 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 are brutal. Like these are, these terrorists are horrible. A lot. I mean, there's no good terrorists. I get that. But the film goes out of its way to be like, no, they're not just bad. They are nasty bad. Mate, they didn't just like kidnap a plane, but they like, they like, Made sure that you couldn't get any of the beverages. You couldn't <laughs> the, use the toilets. One of it was them, a stuffed toy. They broke its arms. One off. of them stabs someone about fifty times, and you're like, okay. "We get how evil you are." <laughs> you know, like we, we we get that. You're the psycho of the psychos. We get that. Thank you. So um, yeah, so then naturally, this uh, when when her her son's in danger, she loses the mask or the, the the kind of you know the wig and everything, and she takes her true form, which is this vampire. So um, and it's shot across like different timelines. The movie starts with um, the plane landing in England, uh, you know, or, or Scotland or somewhere in the UK with, you know, all the Marines and the army around the plane, you know, kind of saying, come out with your hands up, you know, so the terrorist plane has landed. Yeah. You then get scenes of previously of her being uh, bitten and, and changing. You then are intersected with, the you know what happened on the plane and all these things play out at different times you know where you know it's like Pulp Fiction you kind of you know the order but you're being shown them in different ways yeah and so it will reveal its hand in certain scenes where off the plane which has landed certain characters so you're like okay so that person survives there yeah but they're covered in blood so what's happening so it's one of them where you have to watch it to kind of get where it's all going and do you know what in terms of movies that are set predominantly in the air on an aeroplane, you are limited what you can do, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, Flight Plan really tried to make a plane interesting. So did Executive Decision. They it, tried to make Steven Seagal interesting. It did. Air Force One probably peaked it, really. Uh, yes, it did. Get off my plane. <laughs> but, so this one, I was like, oh, it's Halloween, it's, it's, it's October let's see terrorists on a plane with a vampire. Fuck yeah, let's go see it. And it was all right. Yeah. It was all right. Don't go wrong. It's not going to win any awards, James. Not but, even MTV it, best case. <laughs> but, it, but it fucking, it beats who be Halloween, mate. I'll tell you that much. I watched that a year ago. Fuck me. Uh, this episode has been jam-packed full of movie news. It's been jam-packed full of movie news. It's only just beached an hour. We must have talked about eight movies, nine movies. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of fun. But then again, you know, listeners out there, you get double dose this week. So that's yeah. why this one's a bit shorter because we, we don't we don't want to over cram. Next week is also a big one. We're going to do the Coen Brothers. One. We're going to do the top three Coen Brothers movies, which are yeah. brilliant for the November gap between uh, Halloween ending and Christmas starting. What movies, what better movies to watch other than the ones that we've recommended today? Um, Coen Brothers movies are great for exactly. November time. I mean, I think I've got my top three, but I'm looking forward to some of the ones that didn't make it, right? We'll go around the houses. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I think we, I think we, we know number one. I was going to say mine, mine, you'll guess mine. I, everyone should guess mine in reality, really. Mm. Um, so this week we talked about a lot of movies, like you said. Are any worthy of the Sorry You're In My Seat Vault, the place where we keep the very best of films have to offer? So the rule is both of us need to have seen it. Yes, and I believe a year ago I started a campaign to maybe get St. Maud in the book. I'll put St. Maud in. Yes, I love St. Maud. St. Maud goes in. Uh, we haven't, we both of us haven't seen the other ones yet. So when I mm. watched the last duel, we could bring that to the podcast. Probably, do you know what? I'm not the very best, very good though. I enjoyed it. Um, for the pit, so the worst movies, the place where we banish and, and cast the t- most terrible movies of all time. I think Blood Sky Red is fine for what it is. It's an acceptable yeah. film that I think that's going to be surviving. I do not like Venom, let there be carnage. Is it the worst of the worst? No, no it's not no, the, worst no. the worst. You have to be Adam Sandler bad to get down there. Hubie Halloween. I believe I it's have put in, in there, the pit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, all right. So nothing in the pit, but we do have a vault contender this week. Saint. So uh, some more. It's going in. So um, you should check that out. You know, although oh, this comes out in November, hopefully it's still out there. Maybe, maybe you're doing Halloween a bit late this year. Saint Maud. Uh, that's our show for this week next week Cohen Brothers so thanks for downloading if you like this episode don't forget to like and subscribe we're on social media at S-Y-I-M-S underscore podcast so that's sorry you're in my seat S-Y-I-M-S underscore podcast on Twitter Facebook Instagram uh, and if you are um, you know just super lovely awesome and wicked cool leave us a review that would be brilliant it does help us move up the charts so do let us know if I don't see you later good afternoon good evening good night goodbye